Romans 8, great passage of scripture that we have been looking at and will continue to look at for the next several weeks because there's so much here. Uh, we're going to look today at the first 13 verses and we will look again at them next week as well. We'll focus in on the latter verses next week and maybe even the following week. But uh, the, the stuff that's here, in these, especially these first uh, number of verses, is very practical for living out the Christian life on a day-to-day -day basis and really does help us not to just sleepwalk through our lives as Christians but to know how to engage in spiritual warfare in the battle that we find ourselves in or should find ourselves in if we are faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. But first let's read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word where it says... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word and write its truth upon our hearts today. Well, war has become somewhat impersonal in our day with advances in technology. Uh, we can send missiles uh, over thousands of miles and we can send drones in that are unmanned and destroy enemies and we can lock in on uh, certain targets and send a missile right into the keyhole of a door if we wanted to. So it's very impersonal and we're from a distance from it. But it, people in uh, earlier times, of course, fought wars in a different manner, hand-to-hand -hand combat, man-on-man. And it was bloody and very personal. Well, because of this, I think we have lost something of a uh, grasp of what the Bible talks about uh, when it starts talking about spiritual warfare. We think of it as something that's kind of distant, maybe because the imagery is lost on us in our technological age. But we must remember that the fight with sin is not won by sending a missile a thousand miles away and obliterating 
the, the flesh that dwells in us. But rather, it's a, it's a war, a fight that's hand-to-hand combat on a daily basis with an enemy that is ready to destroy you. So we've lost some of our appreciation for the danger of the spiritual warfare we're in and the labor of war, the work that it is. This passage serves as something of a, of a tonic for that, a medicine against that. Well, as we look at this passage, and we've already delved into it a bit last week, but we see here at the very beginning that it tells us that a Christian is someone who has been freed from the condemning power of sin. Verse 1 states emphatically, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's such a wonderful verse, such wonderful good news, and we explored that last week. The law no more condemns the Christian because of sin, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for those sins on the cross. Sin was condemned on the cross, it says. And because Jesus bore that condemnation, the Christian is justified, not condemned. Justified is the opposite of condemned. The law condemns us. Christ justifies us. The law cannot justify you. It can only condemn you. When you measure yourself up against the law... It says, well, you haven't done this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Ten things, at least, there in the Ten Commandments. And if you go over to James, it says, if you've broken just one of the commandments, you've broken them all. So, the law cannot justify you. A lot of people try to justify themselves by saying, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to keep the law. But no one can keep the law. We've already broken it. The law can't justify you. It can only condemn you. That's why Paul states in verse 3, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He has justified us. How has he done it? He's done it through Christ. Because of the flesh, the law cannot justify you. Because of our flesh. Now, what is flesh? He's using this word flesh quite a bit. Now, we think of flesh, you know, our the skin and meat of our bodies, and sometimes that's what it means. Sometimes in Scripture it means that, but that's not what it means here. The word flesh here in Romans 8 refers to sinful human nature. It is the controlling disposition against God that exists in all humans. It's our human orientation towards sin, towards doing those things that are against God's will. Humans, in their natural state, are controlled by sin. Now this doesn't mean that individuals in the world who are not believers uh, are as bad as they possibly could be. Thankfully, that's not true. We're not as bad as we possibly could be. It means, though, that the dominant force within us is that sinful disposition if we are in the flesh. Paul talks about being in bondage to sin. Sin is the master of the natural man. We are born with it. We are born with a sin nature. And it's there, and it causes us to do things that are not right. And each one of us has some particular sins that we thoroughly enjoy. 
and our flesh craves those things, craves to do those things, whether it's uh, pride, uh, whether it's uh, gluttony or drunkenness or glory and, and honor and, and being better than others, or maybe it's just uh, gossip. You love to be in everybody's business. There's a, a whole raft of sins, and everyone has their tendencies, and everybody has a tendency towards something wrong and something sinful and sometimes many things. If you're a believer, you know what, this is, what I'm talking about. This battle. Now God's law is a good thing, Paul's been telling us. It's a good thing, but when our flesh encounters the law, our flesh rebels against it. And we talked about that uh, in the last couple of weeks, that you, know, you can walk down a hallway of a hundred doors and there's one that says, private, keep out. Well, that's the one you want to go in. Because a, the, a law has been placed there and you want to break the law. You're curious now. What's behind that door? I must see what's behind that door. That's your sin nature. So God's law is a good thing, but when our flesh encounters it, our flesh rebels against it. It stirs it up. So the law is weakened by the flesh. We cannot keep the law. It has no power to justify sinful human beings who are controlled by the flesh. Look at verse 7. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, naturally, human beings are in the flesh. They have this drive, this desire for sinful things. We don't have a free will. We have a bondaged will, an enslaved will. The will is controlled by its master, sin. And naturally, humans are compelled to obey their master. This ultimately leads to death, Paul says. Its end is destruction. But when someone turns to Christ in faith, they are released from that bondage to sin. The Spirit of Christ comes to dwell within. Look at verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now last week I pointed out that the word law here in this verse refers to a principle and a power. For example, the law of gravity is a principle. It's a scientific principle, a scientific law. But it also refers to a power. The power that keeps us from floating off into space, the power that keeps our feet on the ground. is a force that's pushing down, that's holding us here. So it's a principle. The law of gravity is a principle and a force. Now he's talking about two principles here. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The power of sin and death, that principle that we are in bondage to sin and, and it leads to death, that principle has been broken. And Christians are under a new law, a new principle, a spiritual principle that says the Spirit of Christ is in you, working with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Incredible, life-giving power is within the believer now. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's amazing. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in the believer. Now here's where the battle sets in. Here's where the war exists. We have the Spirit dwelling in us as believers, but we're also contending with our flesh. We're still living. We still have flesh. We still have a sin nature. It's, not, it's no longer the dominant force in our lives, but it is a force that exists. And that's what Paul's talking about back in Romans 7. Verse 22, verse 7, or chapter 7. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, that is my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So there's this fight going on. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And that the flesh still remains active in us as believers is proven by verses 12 to 13. We're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. See, there's that, that opportunity exists for believers. You can live according to the flesh as a believer. And anyone who is a believer knows that's true. It is possible for us to live according to the flesh. It's, it's possible for believers to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's possible for us to quench the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So people who are sealed for the day of redemption can grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is where it says, Do not quench the Spirit. It's in a list of instructions to believers. As Christians, we don't want to grieve the Spirit. It's not in our best interest to make provision for the flesh, as Paul says in chapter 13 of Romans. He says... Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We can do that. And Galatians 5 speaks of the, the inner struggle between flesh and spirit. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If we live by the spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How do you do that? That's the million dollar question. How do you keep in step with the Spirit? How do you refrain from grieving the Spirit? How do you, how do you walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh? Well, first let me answer a different question. Why should we? Why should we engage in this battle? Why can't we just... Get our free fire insurance from the Lord and do what we want to do. Because some people have that kind of attitude to their Christian life. I've walked down the aisle, I've prayed a prayer, I'm in the club, and they never think about it again. I think they're fooling themselves if they're not engaged in this battle. Why should we do battle with the flesh? Look at verse 3. A little further on in the verse by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh <clears throat> and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
Jesus died to make us holy, to free us from the guilt of sin and to free us from the bondage to sin, the power of sin, to free us from that. He died. He laid down his life so that we would be free from sin, to free us from this enemy that lives within us, in our flesh. Why would we want to continue to serve a master who only wants to kill us? To live according to the flesh ultimately leads to death. The flesh is our undoing. So we don't want to serve that master. We have a new master who will give us life. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to us as well. So that's why there's many reasons why. That's the main reason why. This is what we were saved for, to be free from sin, not to indulge in it, but yet we struggle. So how do we struggle? How do we win this battle? We're going to be talking about this for a couple of weeks. But how do we walk in the Spirit and make no provision for the flesh? Well, we begin to answer that question, first of all, by meditating on verse 5. I think verse 5 is very important here. Where it says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Paul says the connection between living and thinking is a tight and close one. Literally, this verse says, For those being according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but those being according to the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. And what that means, that's kind of a bad translation, but it's very accurate as far as the words are concerned in in the Greek. But what it's saying here is that whatever you have your mind set upon, that shapes your lifestyle and character. But what does it mean to set the mind on something or mind something? Well, we use that term, don't we? You know, you you should mind your parents. You You should mind your mother. You should mind your father. And what are we saying when we say that? Are we just saying we have to think about it, think about them, put our mind on them? No, when we say we are to mind someone, to mind our mother and our father, it means we listen to them, we pay attention to what they're saying, we obey them, we take heed of what they're saying to us, and what they want from us and for us. They're our parents and we're listening to them hearing what they're t- taking that advice, understanding that they, have our, they love us and have our, our, our best interest at heart, and we mind them. It's good for us to do so. We may not want to mind them. We may want to be rebellious and do what we want to do. Go our own way and have our own mind about things. So you understand what this is talking about here. The word mind has a stronger meaning than simply to think about something. It means to focus intently on something, to be preoccupied with something, to to have the attention and the imagination totally captured by something and to let that something shape our behavior. 
It's mind the spirit and not the flesh. See, we have fleshly desires that pop up. And we have this idea, you know, I want that, and I'm going to do, and I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because my flesh desires it. And I'm, you, you can encourage that. You can, you can feed it by engaging in those things. And the flesh gets stronger when you engage in those sins. But then the Spirit is also there. And the Spirit is pointing us to the things of God. Are we going to listen to the Spirit? Are we going to keep in step with what the Spirit is? Are we going to mind the Spirit and what the Spirit is pointing us to and reminding us of? Now what are those things? What are the things of the Spirit? We understand we need to mind the Spirit. We need to pay heed to the Spirit. But what is the Spirit telling us? I'm not saying the Spirit is going to speak to you in an audible voice or give you impressions. There was a lady who got up every morning and she waited until she felt the Spirit move to figure out exactly which items of clothing she was supposed to put on. She wanted to be that in tune with the Spirit. So she would come out and she might have a, one shirt on and something that didn't match and two different socks and but the Spirit moved her to, to do this a certain way. That's not what I'm talking about here. When we're talking about minding the things of the Spirit, we're talking about minding the things of God that we, we learn primarily in His Word. Because what does the Spirit promote? The Spirit points us to Christ. The Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. That's one of the things the Spirit does. It's not the same thing as simply thinking about religion all the time or theology in general, the things of the Spirit would be those things to which the Spirit draws attention. To mind the Spirit would be to be preoccupied by the things the Spirit is preoccupied with. You look at Galatians 5, it says, The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Well, that word desire is really the word for lust. If you remember, the King James Version says that. Lust of the flesh versus the lust of the spirit. It seems odd to say that the spirit lusts, but the word there is just the word that uh, in Greek it literally means over desire, uh, a desire, a, a lust. It doesn't have to necessarily be a negative thing, but to be consumed with something. The spirit has things that it's concerned about, consumed with. Those are the things that we are supposed to be consumed with and concerned about. And when we are consumed and concerned about the things that the Spirit is consumed and concerned about, we are less likely to be consumed and concerned with what the flesh is pointing us to and encouraging us to lust after. And they're, they're at war with one another inside of us as, the, as believers. The flesh, though, wants to destroy you through your lusts. The Spirit, on the other hand, brings life and peace with His desires. And His desire is to form Christ in you, to make you holy. If you look through the rest of chapter 8, it's talking about the Spirit here. It's particularly showing us uh, something about adoption. We see the Spirit comes to show us that we are sons and daughters of the Lord. Notice in verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Verse 15 and 16 tell us that the Spirit removes a sense of fear, of rejection, and assures us that we are God's beloved children. 
Verses 26 through 27 tells us the Spirit gives us confidence to approach the throne of God in prayer. In other words, the rest of Romans 8 tells us what the Spirit is preoccupied with. How in Christ we are adopted, how we are loved, how we are welcomed in and accepted. If you look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Your life is now hid with Christ in God. Paul's telling us to be preoccupied with those things above. We are to remember that we have been raised with Christ and are accepted into Him before the Father. Even though it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit there, it's the same thing, the same principle. We are to be preoccupied with our standing in Christ. Who are we in Christ? We're to drill into our minds and our hearts His love and adoption of us. To mind the things of the Spirit means to never forget our privileged standing, to never forget we are loved and how we have been loved, to meditate upon those things, to think about them, to mind them, to let it have a, an impression, of, leave an impression upon us. So too often in our busy lives, we, we don't take time to read God's Word or to meditate upon it. Or we're just checking a box and reading the Scriptures and not really thinking about it and not spending time in prayer and, and knowing those things of the Lord that we need to help us. You know, the, the, Bible calls the, uh, the, the Bible calls itself the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. If we're going to do battle, we've got to do it with the sword of the Spirit. The Scriptures. Neglecting the Scriptures and not knowing what it says and not meditating upon it, well, we're, we'll be disarmed for the battle if we don't have that. So to mind the things of the Spirit, part of that is spending time in God's Word, meditating upon it and applying it to life. What are we minding today? What are you listening to and paying heed to? Where does your mind go when you're not thinking about anything else in your solitude? Archbishop William Temple once said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, wherever your mind goes most naturally and freely when there's nothing else to distract you, that's what you really live for. That's what you really want. That's where your, your desires are. And that, that's your religion, really. That's what you're worshiping. That's what's most important to you. Your mind tends to go to those things that you think are most important. Your life will be shaped by that which preoccupies your mind. You know, what are you worried about, concerned about? And why are you worried and concerned about those things? But how much time do we spend trying not to think about those things? With distract we have the most distracted culture in probably the history of all culture. We have phones and we have TVs. We have constant entertainment, constant comforts to, to keep us from actually spending any time thinking at all. It's a real challenge in our day and time to get alone, to think, to get your mind right and set and ready for action, ready for the battle that we're engaging in, to really mind the things of the Spirit. If we do, we will see our spiritual lives grow as we feed that. Feed that spiritual life and that man will grow stronger. That's the new man that Paul talks about. And the old man will waste away because we're starving him to death. Now next week we're going to talk about how to kill him. We're going to talk about putting sin to death. 
verses 12 and 13. Mortification of sin, the old Puritans called it. But as we think about these things, I want to challenge all of us to spend some time thinking about the things of the Lord, the gospel. It's a a wonderful motivator to us to remember what Christ has done for us and how he has welcomed us in. And Why would we want to neglect that? But we're spending our time watching sitcoms instead. I'm guilty of that. I'm preaching to myself right there now. But the Lord has called us to himself to make us holy because he loves us and that's what's in our best interests and we will enjoy life and peace as a result. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us today. Help us to understand where we are spiritually, to be quiet and to know who we are and who you are. Lord, we pray that you would become the center of our world, that we would keep in step with the Spirit and listen to what the Spirit is is pointing at. Specifically, Lord, we pray that we would make time to think about the gospel, to preach it to ourselves every day, to to remember the great sacrifice that you have made for us and and who we are as your children and, and what you as our Heavenly Father expects of us. Lord, to be reminded of that there's no condemnation for us now in Christ. We're free. We're yours. And Lord, we pray that we would not mess about with sin and find more joy in that than we do in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.